This is Jerry Mason, the Kicking Lawyer, and I'm inviting everyone to join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. on the Kicking Lawyer fan page on Facebook for Law Talk Live, where we discuss business, politics, current events, and the law. If you miss the live version, you can watch the playback on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast platform. It's Jerry Mace, the Kicking Lawyer, and we're live for another Law Talk. Hope everybody's having a good day, good week. We missed you last week because I was out of town uh, visiting my son in San Diego who's serving us on the, the USS Carl Vincent. Uh, I want to remind you, if you haven't already, to please like and follow, subscribe to the content, share, all that wonderful good stuff. It really helps us out. Uh, let's other people maybe benefit from it. We're also on TikTok. We probably need to mix those two. What do you think, Josh? I think yeah. I need to uh, move the new capture <laughs> thing lower so I can get us rolling. Okay. Up. There we go. <coughs> yeah, there it is. All right, yeah. It, well, had, it was already up. Well, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't on the feed, though. I had, I had to do some finagling with the camera. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll anyway. skip TikTok. So, N.A. The Band has an album out. You can go to anywhere you download your music. It is free. So help those guys out. They're both local guys. They run Liberty Guitar uh, and Gear here in Covington, and uh, they have a, an album inside my head. It's available. Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Michelle Allen's a longtime sponsor of our show. She's your go-to in the area for buying, selling, renting, leasing, real estate, and she's also a genuinely good person. If you visit the seller, you can see her a lot. Uh, she's a good regular patron there. Uh, High Octane Martial Arts in Covington has been around since 93. You want to become a black belt or train yourself, we'd be glad to have you. Just visit masonsmartialarts.com. And the Cellar Restaurant Prohibition Bar, I will be there uh, as soon as I'm done here doing the uh, trivia tonight. we got Mother's Day stuff coming up. There's Prime Rib as a special this weekend, so make sure you check us out. We're open every day at 4 p.m., and we have a newly renovated patio. And then last but not least, Josh will be glad to help you with your online branding, marketing, social media, website stuff, just visit masonitemarketing.com. So, all that out of the way, I got joining me today, uh, my guest is Mr. Brandon Fletcher. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good, good. I know you're, are you a full-time firefighter, active firefighter? I know you're big into firefighting, like you're you're uh, like an instructor and all kinds of stuff in it, right? Yes, sir. So, so I'm the fire chief at the Gilt Edge Fire Department. That's an all-volunteer department mm -hmm. on the west. So I need to call you county. chief then. No, you don't. Yeah. Call me Brandon. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do some instructing and everything on the side. I, I've worked full-time in the past at several yeah. different departments. But yeah. Now I kind of, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to kind of branch out. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of my own instructing uh, with regards to leadership, some stuff specific to volunteer fire departments. And then I'm a hazmat instructor for the Center for Domestic Preparedness in Anniston, Alabama. Sweet. So you're, I always assume you're a young guy because I know your wife. Well, <laughs> she's a young lady. You may be like me, though. Maybe an old guy with a young lady. <laughs> That's probably a good assessment <laughs> okay. there. Yeah. So what got you into the firefighting thing? So I'm a second-generation firefighter. Uh, uh -huh. My dad was one of the original members there in Gilt Edge. Uh, the founding, you know, one of the founding members uh, in 1986 when they formed the fire department. And yeah. So I pretty much grew up, you know, in the firehouse uh, yeah. to a degree, uh, especially, you know, in, in my younger, definitely younger years, you know, by teenager, you know, you're out rambling around doing whatever. But yeah, uh, spent a lot of time in the firehouse. You know, it was just kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, I knew I was going to try, you know, at some point. And so when I turned 18, I uh, joined the volunteer fire department there in Gilt Edge and I've been uh 
fortunate to, to work in several different places uh, around West Tennessee on the career side mm -hmm. and really, you know, dove into a lot of things kind of just nationally within the fire service. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a running joke with a good buddy of mine in New Jersey, uh, join the fire service, see the world. Because uh, that's kind of how it's worked out for me. Uh, yeah. I end up all over the country at different points of the year. So Yeah, that's cool. So if you've done it that long, I'm curious because I have my own observations on like law enforcement with this, but by doing something for a minute. But what do you think have been major changes? Uh, and it could be pro or cons in, in firefighting. Oh, gosh, just in the time that I've joined, uh, our personal protective equipment is totally different. Mm -hmm. um, I think collectively... Uh, as a uh, just as a nation that we've done great improvements in fire prevention but even locally uh, you know we don't go to as many structure fires mm -hmm. uh, as we used to when I first joined and I mean in the grand scheme of things yeah firefighter wants to fight fire yeah uh, but going to less structure fires is a good thing because mm -hmm. that means less people you know are having house fires and I think a lot of that is you know through different codes code enforcement uh, different regulations with appliances and, mm -hmm. and housing uh, and then, you know, trying to spread the fire prevention message as well uh, to, uh, to, you know, for folks to make good decisions. Yeah. What about what about uh, EMS stuff? Oh, gosh, that, yeah. that has changed immensely. my perspective as a cop, I remember. So when I went to the police academy, it was 2001 or two, 2001 or two. I went to the police, the state uh, Nashville Academy. Right. And I remember there were a couple of departments there. I want to say one was. Um, Oh, if, if I went through the area there on 40, I would remember it. But they, they weren't far from Nashville. There were a couple of departments that they were called public safety officers. Yes, sir. And they were EMS, fire, and police all together. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I remember thinking that just blew my mind that, that it was set up that way. But then even coming back home, I remember that it seemed that cops were doing more EMS work than they were firefighting even. I mean, I say cops, firefighters were doing more EMS work than they were firefighting. What's your observation on that? So absolutely. Um, so there are very few fire departments in the country that are not running EMS in mm -hmm. some capacity. Uh, not everyone transports. So you have what's called a first responder EMS service. That's what you see here in Tipton County mm -hmm. uh, with all the departments that run EMS. And so anytime an ambulance is called, uh, you'll get a fire truck and firefighters responding with that, usually because they can get there before the ambulance, stabilize a patient, um, and then you'll have them ready for transport. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up that that public safety officer concept because that's a that is a very controversial topic really? uh, in in the emergency services world uh -huh. uh, because you know a lot of police officers you know they joined to be police officers they didn't uh -huh. join to be firefighters yeah. and a lot of firefighters they joined to be firefighters they didn't join to be police officers and there are some out there generally in in city government management that you know well if i can just combine the two you know i can save money mm -hmm. and it's pretty much failed in most places that mm -hmm. it's been tried that uh, probably when you were going through the police academy that was kind of the the heyday of the of the pso concept mm -hmm. i mean it's still out there still places that do it uh but but a lot of places were trying it it was the new great thing yeah yeah and uh, a lot of those places don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you think about it. So, you know, you're a police officer, you know, you're geared up, you're, you're doing your police officer role, and all of a sudden a fire comes out, and so now you race to the fire. At least, you know, I, I will make the, the comment that, you know, if a, 
police officer is a public safety officer trained to be a firefighter, they probably won't park their police car in front of the fire hydrant. <laughs> they probably won't block you the hope driveway. So, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that, so they race to it. So then now what do you do? So you, so you got to strip off your gun belt, your body armor, all that stuff. You, you stow that in the trunk. Now you got to get dressed. Now you're waiting on a fire truck to show up. I mean, it just... <sighs> It just doesn't work. But yeah. on the EMS side, I think nationally, uh, about 80% of the fire department's responses are EMS related. Yeah. Locally, uh, in Gilt Edge particularly, uh, we're probably closer to about 70, maybe in the, in the high 60s. Uh, and that's pretty consistent across the county. Uh, so, yes, your fire departments do run a lot more EMS mm-hmm. than they do fire these days. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I I, I, I was thinking through as you were talking about that, because I, I get your position on the public safety officer. And I don't know that I really ever thought about it to come to a uh, like a position on it. I, I know speaking from a, as a cop, that's what I did for 12 years. Like, I didn't want to do, kind of like you say, I didn't want to do the EMS stuff. Now, sometimes, just by the nature of the job, sometimes the task mix a little bit. Like, I remember running into me and a, a deputy named, well, he's like, I think he's narcotics now, Brandon Williams. We ran into a burning building one time because the people came out, fire wasn't there yet. This was in Brighton. And uh, they said there was a kid inside. And we didn't hesitate. We both ran in there. And then I immediately had a new respect for firefighters because as soon as we – this is fully engulfed. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we broke the threshold of the door, I was immediately lost, like so disoriented. And we both had to – luckily, we managed to kind of turn, and and, uh, I think he might have even pulled me out. But anyway, we we couldn't function in the environment, you know. And, like, I always assumed – Oh, it's hot, but the smoke's going to be up high, you know, like, like you see in a movie. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it was it nice. And it was not like that. So anyway, that's a that was a new experience. But anyway, my point was I didn't want to firefight. And uh, the, the limited times I did any EMS stuff uh, did not enjoy it. And to be honest, the the limited post traumatic issues that I may still deal with from the job were really from being hands on on the medical side. Sure. It, I feel like that personally when I had to touch them to do any kind of like CPR or something like that, for some reason that made it more uh, I don't know real or connected. Sure. No, and I and there's w- there's one incident in particular that I still struggle with, have nightmares about that involved a little kid that I did CPR on. But normally when we would show up Always bleeding out. You better put some pressure on that. You know, yeah. it's like we're waiting on EMS. Well, you know, I'll tell you on, on our end, um, the situations where like for a CPR call, mm-hmm. you know, where we see, you know, the best chance of survival, you know, is obviously with early CPR. Mm-hmm. And so I'll use that to plug, you know, if you got the opportunity to take a CPR class, take a CPR class. Uh, the fact that our dispatch here locally can give CPR instructions over the phone. Uh, that was something that he could not do previously. Yeah. Very uh, controversial topic, um, you know, during that time frame. Um, but now they can do that. And every person that we've been able to ever shock and get back um, that I can recall, a deputy was involved in getting there first mm-hmm. and either taking over that CPR for the family member or initiating that CPR until we could get there, you know, with the other advanced life-saving equipment. So, uh, you know, law enforcement probably in most places doesn't get the credit uh, that it deserves mm-hmm. um, with regard to their role in the EMS. But when it comes to somebody that's not breathing and needs CPR, 
you know, whoever can get there first and start that because the CPR is not what brings them back, mm -hmm. okay? The cardiac drugs, the, the defibrillation, you know, that's what brings the patients back. The CPR buys time, Yeah. okay? And, and you know, time is, you know, when they talk about strokes, you know, they talk about time as brain, mm -hmm. okay? You know, so the longer you're without oxygen to the brain, you know, the less your chance of coming back from that is. And so the CPR keeps that, you know, mm -hmm. keeps that going. So, you know, law enforcement, you know, out where we are, we don't have a police department in Gilthead. You know, it's the sheriff's office that protects out there. And, and so when the deputies get there and they start that CPR, that's a huge, huge game changer. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember what the policy was on it at when I was there. I remember it was almost – I don't know that there really even was a policy. It was The rule was if you put hands on them, you were responsible then. So a, a lot of times we would try to secure the scene and protect the uh, protect whatever was going on, you know, make sure it's safe for the sure. other first responders to show up. Um, but uh, I, I agree that I think that, you know, all the first responders, man, I think are under, you know, people, first responders, and maybe not, this may not be so much for you. This is a, this is a whole cop firefighter thing when I was a cop. <laughs> so we always joked with firefighters oh, yeah. that you guys always had clean cars, you know, because <laughs> you're just sitting there and what else are you going to do? Clean your car, right? Yeah. And I know there's plenty of jokes on us too about donuts and other stuff. But, uh, you know, there was a, there was a running almost like rivalry between the two. But part of it was if throughout at least the last 30 years or so, cops tend to get a bad rap. Sure. Firefighters usually don't. Right. Y'all are usually the white white horse, white hat guys. And the cops, unless you need them, right. uh, people are kind of fussing about them. So, I don't know. I think that's a difference in personalities, too. Well, I, you know, the way I always you know explain it, too, that's another reason why I was a huge uh, PSO fan, right? Mm -hmm. You know, from, from my perspective, everybody loves a fireman. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, when we show up, I mean, the, the goal is to make the day better, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, whatever the problem, we're problem solvers, you know, yeah. they call us not just for fires, you know, they call us for everything, you know, yeah. I got a broken water line, you know, okay, well, you know what, we're going to show up, we're going to try to fix it, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mean, yeah. we're going to do what we can do, you know, and, and so there, there is that, you know, and I think, you know, we're lucky here, you know, in Tipton County, for the most part, I, I think there is a lot of support for law enforcement. Yeah, I agree. And, and with that, too, I'll even go as far as, you know, the 20, this is my 23rd year, uh, you know, with the Guilt Edge Fire Department, and the relationship that we've had with our sheriff's office during that time has just, to me, has always been stellar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's there's never been, you know, conflict or, you know, on-scene rivalry or, or anything like that, and it's not like that everywhere you go. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there, there are some places, you know, especially some larger cities, you know, where they're competing for the same pot of funding, you know, just the historical, you know, good natured fun. Now we'll laugh and joke and we'll cut up, but mm -hmm. it's all in good fun. It's sure, all in laughs sure. and smiles and everything. And but there are places where it is not that way. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're very fortunate uh, to have the relationship with uh, not just the sheriff's office, but with the highway patrol as well, because mm -hmm. that's that's who we see most out in our area. Well, I always liked seeing uh, any other first responders, whether it was fire or EMS, show up uh, on most scenes because you know a lot of times we would be there sometimes first but it's because you're coming from like a central location where sure. the truck is housed and we're mobile exactly so a lot of times i say we that i'm not one anymore so the, <laughs> the the deputies are mobile and can get wherever they're going so but i think it's an important uh, relationship to have and it's just like uh it's very similar to what i do in law you know in law my opponent is the prosecutor guys i do mostly criminal defense so my opponent's the prosecutor and I've, uh, josh and i have done videos on this recently a lot of people have this perspective that they don't want uh, 
I used to have this perspective too. They think you don't want a local lawyer because that local lawyer is in bed with the prosecutor or, you know, whatever. So it's like scratching each other's back. But what I've said recently is I always recommend local counsel because of the relationship they have with the everybody, not just the DA, but the clerks, the judge, everybody. And my point is like, that, that relationship is very important to get things done efficiently, but in some ways it can help the client. Sure. I've never had, it, it, well, I, I guess probably never is not a good term, but I can't remember anyway, a time when my positive relationship with like the district attorneys was a negative for the client. Right. And so similarly, I think in uh, first responders, it's very important that they be able to get along and communicate with each other. Um, you know, talking about that, last night I went to uh, – my son is on the, the high school soccer team here, CHS, Go Chargers. And we went to uh, Huntington – Huntington? Huntington, Huntington yeah. yeah. It's about an hour and a half away-ish, right? Real nice area. It took a minute to get there. Anyway, they play soccer over there. So we're sitting there and we're playing, and the other team was real – the other team parents were real vocal. The other They were yelling at the refs the whole time. and. <laughs> Our team ended up winning. Uh, they were ahead by like four goals, and then the other team just came back. So it was like four to three. It was kind of tight at the end. Anyway, next thing you know, before the end, one of the parents is screaming at this ref who called like a offside call or something on the other team. I don't really even know the soccer rules. When I was a kid, you were communist if you played soccer. So. Uh, same here. Okay. <laughs> I don't really understand it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, so so anyway, I uh, uh, they were they're arguing. And next thing you know, the the ref is running across the thing and, like, trying to eject a parent. And then that parent starts going, yelling at the coach of their team, like, don't worry about it, coach. Uh, me and that ref got beef. We got beef. He just wants me out of here. <laughs> and it's just another example of where it would probably be better for those parents to have a better relationship with the referees locally for their kids than to have beef with them. So, sure. yeah, long story short, man, I agree. I think we should all get along. And it's good locally that I think there are good relationships with the, the first responders. Um, you guys have a good relationship, I guess, with the ambulance services, too. Uh, most days. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, on a side note, Josh, yeah. Lisa Keith is the sponsor tonight for the podcast. And I forgot I was supposed to go out to her place to pick up the prizes. You mean for the uh, trivia? Yeah. Would you do me a favor and let one of the see if one of the girls would go pick them up for me? I got busy and completely forgot. Yeah. Let me, supposed to let me get run up there. You keep talking for a minute because I'm going to go over here to switch cameras for a second. Well, well, we we we, we both we'll both talk and I'll let him. They can just go. listen and I'll smile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so we're talking about positives, which is great, right? right? But what is something that you think people should uh, weigh as far as like things you would like to see change, like positive policies that need to go into effect? To, to help you do your job better? Uh, well, you know, funding is always a struggle for, mm. for all, you know, public safety agencies and probably, you know, everybody. But, uh, you know, that, that's probably one of the biggest things, you know, locally is, is funding. And then, um, you know, on the volunteer side, you know, the recruitment and retention of volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we simply, you know, we don't have people beating down the doors to, you know, be a volunteer firefighter. Never mm -hmm. have in this area. You mm -hmm. know, there are parts of the country where, yeah, there are waiting lists to join the volunteer fire department, usually because, you know, that department might be 100-plus years old. It's ingrained in the culture. You know, that's kind of just what you did. You yeah. joined the fire department. You know, and we just don't have that, you know, in this area. And, and so, you know, most of our departments that rely 100% on volunteers, you know, are struggling, struggling for membership. Mm -hmm. um, so, what do you think that is? 
Well, and so there's a lot of theories uh, on it. And I actually, I teach a little bit, you know, with regarding strategies to kind of modernize your volunteer fire department. Um, people are busy. People mm -hmm. are way busier than they were, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, so on and so forth. Uh, so with that, you know, there's, there's kind of that fear of that time commitment because it is a time commitment. Um, you know, one of the things that's progressed, kind of going back to one of those first questions, things that changed, um, is your fire department does more now than it ever did. Uh, you know, when the Gilt Edge Fire Department started in 1986, you know, it was because you couldn't get homeowner's insurance in the area. If you look at a lot of the all-volunteer fire departments outside of a municipality or outside of a, a population center in Tennessee, you'll see a lot of them with start dates in the early 80s, mid-80s, kind mm -hmm. of in that same time frame because it was about that time that, you know, insurance companies said, hey, we're not going to insure your property if you mm -hmm. don't have fire protection. And so you started founding fire departments with just bare bones, bare minimums, minimum training, you know, just good people that wanted to help, you know, how successful were they going to be at helping? Eh, you know, mm. it, you know, it varied. And from there we added the EMS mission. Okay. So now we go from, you know, maybe you would get called out 20, 30 times a year to, you know, this last month, you know, in Guilt Edge, we did 45 runs, mm -hmm. you know, which, you know, by comparison, if you, you know, looked at Covington, you know, they do obviously way more than that. They mm -hmm. have a lot more people there. Um, but, you know, when you look at that, it's 45 times that the tones went off that volunteers in some capacity dropped what they were doing to go and help someone else in need. Um, and that does start to weigh on you. Uh, you know, 586. Seven, I think is what we did last year. 587 times. There's only 365 days in a year, you know. And, and so you start looking at we've had EMS to it. Well, now we've recognized the importance of public education. So now we're trying to get out there. We're trying to educate the public, pass out smoke alarms, put up address signs, speak to church and civic groups about fire safety and prevention. Um, you know, now we're expected, you know, to, to be able to have a plan for any kind of hazmat, any kind of technical rescue. Like we, we are, you know, if it's not a law enforcement criminal matter, your fire department is your go-to mm -hmm. to solve the problem. And so with that, you know, to be competent at that, we have to train. You know, so the time requirement, you know, 30 years ago, hey, I want to join the fire department. All right, hey, here's a pager, here's some gear. You know, you'll figure it out. We'll, mm. we'll show you. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't do that anymore, mm -hmm. you know. And, and so now, you know, we got to put you through a basic training academy so you're not a danger to yourself and others, and you can actually help. We have to train you in medical. We have to train you in hazmat. We have to train you in some, you know, form of technical rescue. And, and so with that, you know, that's a huge commitment. Do, do they have to live in Gilt Edge to, no. to volunteer for you guys? No. So at, at one time, you know, you had to live within uh, the district. Um, as we've kind of progressed forward, we've expanded that a little bit. Uh, we really loosened it up because, you know, we have some really good news in Gilt Edge because uh, yesterday was the official start date of construction of a new annex building uh, that will, you know, provide us with a bunk room, offices, day room, you know, kitchen facilities, nice, yeah. what you would see at like a full-time career fire station. Yeah. And so what that allows folks to do is maybe folks that live a little further away that, you know, if they join, might would get kind of frustrated, not feel like they're making a difference because by the time they got to the station, you know, the folks that live closer have responded to the call, you know, 
And it's like, why am I doing this? Well, this gives them an opportunity now to basically we can pull some duty shifts. We mm-hmm. can have a staffing program, which is what a lot of successful volunteer fire departments have done mm-hmm. to be able to stay relevant as a volunteer fire department is, is to be able to provide that level of service where, hey, you know, we have people here, maybe 24-7, maybe, you know, certain times of the day. Um, you know, that's one thing that you, that you have to look at. You know, or eventually you're going to hit a point where, where you're, you're not going to have a volunteer fire department anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to sustain that. Um, and then, you know, it opens up a whole host of questions. Then what do you do? Because chances are, not always, but around here, if you're running a volunteer fire department, it's because the local municipality or local government can't afford to have a full-time career fire department. Mm-hmm. And so then what? You know, when you have no more volunteers to answer the call, what, what, what do you do then? And you can't afford, you know, fire protection, you know, in a full-time pay capacity, you know? And, and so it, it becomes a very, very, very complicated situation, you know, to try to find solutions. And so what I try to do is, is when I travel the country and I meet with volunteer fire departments, you know, I, I start first and foremost with the leadership aspect of it. You have to have quality leadership within the organization. That's true of any organization. Yeah. If you think about it, right? You know, in a, in a paid organization, folks are there because, they they got to get a check. they got to pay the bills, all right? doesn't mean they're going to stay there, okay, if they're unhappy and you don't treat them right, all right? They'll eventually go somewhere else. But now flip that over to a volunteer perspective. Your volunteers are there because they want to be, not because they have to be. They're there because it's, it's fun. They get some kind of fulfillment, whatever that is. It's going to vary from person to person. But they're there because they want to be, not because they have to be. And so you have to be able to provide purpose, direction, and motivation to those individuals to bring them together collectively as a team and without the incentive of a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a true challenge. And, and so you know, leadership is critical in all organizations, but it becomes especially critical in that volunteer organization. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a plan. All right, you got to be. How are we going to put this all together? How are we going to get where we want to be in five years? Are we even looking five years down the road mm-hmm. to try to tackle the challenges that we're going to see at that point, or are we just trying to react day to day? And there's a lot of places out here that are just trying to react day to day, and they're yeah. hurting. Yeah. Well, man, it sounds like you definitely know what you're talking about on all this. I think Guilt Edge is lucky to have you. Um, I was going to ask you this on the volunteers. So I started as a cop as a volunteer. I was a reserve. I started that. And uh, uh, the reason that I did it was I did have an interest for community service. And I originally was going to do military. But when my girlfriend at the time, eventually wife, was pregnant, got pregnant, I decided to stay here, right? So uh, build a family. And I, so I felt like that I didn't want to drag them through military life. So how else could I do some community service type stuff? And so law enforcement was was something my I had in my family my grandfather had done it so anyway it was interested interesting it was something I was interested in at an early age and not necessarily something that I immediately thought I would do full-time I looked at it more as it was an opportunity for community service so saying that do you guys do any outreach with like some of the high school seniors and stuff to show them um, that age group I feel like your prime age and you can tell me if I'm wrong 
But if you could get them, and, and is there an age? Like, is it like it, it, cops really need to be twenty one because sure. a lot of the what they do. But but what's the age to be a volunteer firefighter? So for us, um, at our insurance company will allow us to bring someone on at seventeen as a junior. Uh, obviously, with some some restrictions sure. uh, with regard to training, they can't run calls yet, but they can start getting that training knocked out. And then at eighteen, then they can be a full fledged you know. Well, and wouldn't that be good? prep for them if they did want to make a full career like as a full-time firefighter Absolutely. it's a good starting point i would think a, a huge percentage of our volunteers in guilt edge have gone on to career positions I, I have folks that work at ripley fire department i have folks in piperton fire department arlington fire department uh, i'm sure i probably forgot somebody and they'll, mm. they'll probably let me know yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that that's that does a, that's a good statement though for you and your leadership ability too, though, Brandon. That you could help. You know, I, I always think that uh, I've seen it in here here as a lawyer and in my martial arts business, where you have a student or instructor that gets to a certain level, or like a lawyer here that gets to a level, and then they go to do something that's not with you. You know, so you don't directly benefit from it. But I feel like a good sign of a leader is somebody that can build someone up to where they can sort of stand on their own. You know, and do things. So, so it, it is a huge benefit. Um, if your volunteers can join career departments, but it's like anything else, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Okay. So hopefully they go to a career fire department that also sees the benefit of them continuing to be volunteer yeah. because yeah. now, you know, we can send them to training that's mutually beneficial. They can send them to training that's mutually beneficial. You know, it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, but one thing that does happen and it's not a hundred percent, it's not a, you know, every single case, but, but what does happen from time to time is, you know, you started off as a volunteer and you get that paid firefighting job and so now you think you've hit the big time. Mm -hmm. Now you're better, you know, <laughs> than the volunteers or, you know, you've reached some pinnacle above being, you know, a volunteer. Or, you know, maybe it's not even that mindset at all, but now what you used to do for fun is what you do for pay. Mm -hmm. And so now maybe it's not as fun to go. Well, and that, do it, that's true. You know, that, that happened free. with, uh, I mean, in law enforcement for sure. I can remember when I was initially a reserve, it was cool to just put the uniform on, you know, like that was exciting. And then after you've done it for a little bit as a job, it's a job. Right. And then you're like, it's not that big a deal anymore. So uh, you, I think you're right. But but I think you could find, because, I mean, growing up, as it, and this may be because I'm old, but as I was growing up, you know, cops and firefighters was, was were cool. At least the firefighters were always cool. You, know? sure. you got to be a firefighter. You know, and uh, I would think that there's still some of that mystique there for some of these teenagers. And if you could take them at 17, I think it'd be a great opportunity for some of these young guys. Plus, maybe it does give them some training on a, a profession that they could move into that they didn't even realize was an opportunity for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and there are places that, that do the uh, that go to the career fairs and career days and everything. Yeah. And that's something that we need to add to our uh, you know public outreach that we currently do. Uh, we, we've been so focused on you know the fire prevention and public education side of things, which is a taxing mission itself. Sure. sure. That you know. We, well, we time is limited, exactly. and y'all are volunteers. We so. haven't we haven't really uh, jumped in on that, and we don't have a high school in our first do. Our closest high school would be Brighton, mm -hmm. um, and then followed by Munford. But uh, it, it absolutely would be viable for for not just us, but but all of the fire departments, paid mm -hmm. and volunteer, in which all of our paid departments in the county are really combination departments. They still have volunteers or reserves, um, you know, whatever they call them, mm -hmm. um, to to get into the schools and. Um, 
and really, you know, to put it out there that like, hey, this is an option. Like you, you can do this for you know a career or you can do this to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be really beneficial is if some way, somehow we could ever get a fire science program into the school system here mm-hmm. in the county. There are a few places that have managed to do that. And that is a huge win uh, because, I mean, you know, if you have it at each school or you have it centrally located where all the students can participate, you know, you potentially have students from all over the county uh, participating in that with the opportunity to join, you know, the fire department, whether it's paid or volunteer, wherever they live, mm-hmm. you know, in the county. Uh, but, you know, like a lot of things, it's logistical cost money mm-hmm. yeah, it's not just as simple as hey we're going to teach a fire school you know at the at the high school there's a lot more that goes into it than just that but but that would be a huge benefit something locally that could really i think you know definitely impact in a positive direction the different uh, departments that are in the county is most of your funding county funding yes so well yes and no so we are a municipal volunteer department which is not uncommon in Tennessee, but it is kind of a unique animal in, in a lot of places around the country. So, you know, you have 11 fire departments within the county. Um, of the all-volunteer departments, us, Garland, and Mason are municipal fire departments. We're not a private uh, entity with its own private board of directors. So, like Charleston, Quito, and Three Star would all be private 501c3 organizations. They have a board of directors. Uh, which is actually kind of probably the most common form of volunteer fire department across the country. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, so we're, so we're a municipal department that the bulk of the funding does come from the city of Yiltage, uh, but we do receive a, a sizable amount of funding from Tipton County, uh, a little bit of funding from the town of Burleson, and we provide fire protection for its 42 square miles. So that includes the city of Yiltage, the city of Burleson, and then the unincorporated area that surrounds those two communities. So for a total of 42 square miles, about a little over 4,100 people that live in that area. And you have you you guys have your own trucks and stuff? We do, yes. Uh-huh. They're all owned by the city of Yelp Edge. So if you had, like, because um, I get that your time was limited and you focused primarily on the training and all that stuff, which I think is important, fire prevention. But if, if you had, like, uh, half a million dollars, let's say they just gave <laughs> it to you, where would you spend it? Well, half a million dollars would not go nearly as far yeah, as you yeah, think it would. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I was just trying to think, what would a fire truck cost? And I was uh, like, more than half a million dollars. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Dang, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so so our, our engines or pumpers now, you know, you can easily spend a million, but you're probably looking to seven to 800000 God, I had no uh, idea. Engine. We used to say a lighter truck, you know, was a million dollars. I now it's... You can drop one point five to two million dollars on a ladder truck, easy. Yeah. You know, five hundred thousand. I could get a really nice tanker for for five hundred. That's <laughs> what we shuttle our water with. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so five hundred thousand um, dollars. Gosh, what would I spend that on? Uh, we're really good at writing grants in Gilt Edge. Mm-hmm. So equipment wise, we're we're in really 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 good shape. Uh, vehicle grants are hard to come by, so it probably would would. You know, with the new building being built, um, you know, for us, money-wise, you know, vehicle upgrades and improvements would probably be where we would go. But like I say, with five hundred thousand, that would that would just be a down payment. <laughs> yeah, dang, I didn't have any idea they were that expensive. Yeah. I was like, um, I was thinking three hundred thousand. So when when we first uh, 
So when you would have entered law enforcement about the same time mm-hmm. I entered the fire service, yes, three hundred thousand would have bought you a very very nice. So I'm bumper. just out of out of date. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes up every year. I did want to tell you, Michelle Allen apparently has been watching. She said that if you're ever out of town and your smoke detector goes nuts, Brandon will show up and take care of in your absence. True story. True story. Yeah, she said uh, would be great if could equip police cars with the AED, and she said how are volunteer fire departments funded which we just talked about so sure so so that. the county provides money to all of the volunteer well to all the fire departments within the county mm-hmm. um and it used to be just kind of a set amount across the board now it it, it kind of it varies mm-hmm. um based on uh well a multitude of things yeah so, I, i'm so, sort of familiar with how some of that works and sort of it's with the chamber how i've sort of come to understand so, how that's done so obviously your your paid fire departments they get a little bit more money because mm-hmm. they got a little more overhead uh to cover uh but then you know sometimes it varied depending on did you have two stations because at one time you had quito drummond's fire department it was two stations so because they had two stations technically two districts they got twice as much mm-hmm. uh you know when things happened in mason a few years ago and Charleston and Three Star took over the Mason County territory. You know, I think they split the Mason contribution between the two departments. So, so it's not as cut and dry mm-hmm. as it as it once was. Um, but uh, what, what was her other question besides the funding? There, she was saying, uh, "Would be great if we could equip police cars with the AED." Which is a comment when we she she made all these earlier, and I didn't notice them until now. So okay. she was talking about. When we were talking about cops. No, absolutely. That, that would be a good thing. There are places that do that mm-hmm. uh, where the, the police officers have uh, AED in the, um, uh, you know, in the back of the patrol car. I'm going to ask you a question that's just because I'm curious based on evolving. When I was a deputy, which was from uh, 02 to 2012, maybe. Is, is that 10 years? That's 10, that's years. 10 years. So there was a year on either side I was a reserve because it was 12 years total. Anyway, during that time period, I remember one of the issues we had was radios, mm-hmm. and uh, it would the radio would go out. You know, we were out around where you guys were. Sometimes it was rough, and then if you dropped below the bluff, you switched. It was channel two to the bluff repeater. You know, and I just wondered if when I left, they were starting to switch over to some digital version of the radios. I just wondered if they're any better or if it's still terrible. They're better. <laughs> There's still room for improvement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're taking me back there with the mm-hmm. uh, all the old bluff repeater. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was uh, so that system. Uh, now, there's uh, to my knowledge, the bluff repeater. I don't think it's still active. Everything. So, so the fire departments are still paged on the old analog system. Okay. Um, and and so the the golf ball, as we call it, the water tower there in Munford, has got your got your analog paging system on mm-hmm. it. Um, and you know, in a pinch, you know, provided we could hit the repeater. You know, we kept all of our old analog radios just because, you know, the transition over to the digital system was a, was a slow process. It was kind of like, hey, we're doing this. Uh, figure out what you're going to do to mm-hmm. buy these new radios. Oh, okay, nice, you know. And so, you know, that was, you know, that's a big budget hit. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, and, you know, without getting into, you know, how that was handled and maybe how it could have been handled better, I think we're looking probably in the next three to four years, maybe five to upgrade again, um, I know we have a new dispatch director, and that's definitely one of his key points that mm-hmm. he's wanting to uh, to upgrade our system. Because honestly, our system is not a public safety system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the downside of that, when you upgrade to a public safety system, you know you're looking at going from ra- you know little handheld radios that the deputies carry, that we carry, we all carry the same radio. Um, you know that when we were first integrating into the system. 
cost you know eight hundred nine hundred dollars a piece I think the price is up to like eleven or twelve now but when they upgrade to this public safety system you know you're looking at you know two three thousand dollars or more mm-hmm. just for a handheld radio so how are we gonna fit that bill with eleven fire departments and you know how many law enforcement agencies mm-hmm. you know how many handheld radios you know are we talking about you know across the board between every well, law enforcement every police you know every uh, firefighter ambulance then the, you gotta have the vehicle radios you know but there are grants out there and and I think that that I think the new dispatch director is on point with this and, mm-hmm. and I think the transition to this will be a lot better than the transition was to the current digital system that we have. Well, I think all these components, especially on the budgeting, is important to talk about because I know a lot of times the community, you know, fire is, like I said, similar with cops, where until they need you, they don't, it just is not an issue they're thinking about. And so they don't think about how good communication is important for you to be able to serve them better. And, and so when it comes to budgeting issues and like if there's a tax hike on this, that, or the other, people want one thing but don't realize they're gonna have to pay for that thing some other way and so i think it's important for people to understand those nuances just like me i had no idea a fire truck was that expensive now well and and so on that i mean you you know i'll just i'll segue into it you know i'm a fan of a county fire tax Mm -hmm. okay anything with a tax is a very controversial Mm -hmm. subject uh, there's lots of different tiers that you can go about it. it, it it's a process like anything else. Uh, it's a little easier in other states, but in Tennessee it is a little bit of a process. And sometimes as firefighters, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to that because we are going to go all out to try to solve your problem. Whether I have two people show up or I have 20 people show up, we're, we're going to bust our tail. And we have done some very impressive things sometimes with two or three people mm-hmm. you know that makes us look like rock stars but then on the flip side of that well then when you go and argue and say well we actually need this number of people well, wait a minute y'all y'all made an awesome stop on that house <laughs> yeah. with just a couple of guys yeah and that's yeah because like we broke a whole lot of osha rules and regulations and policies because we're not going to let your house sit there and burn you know, and stand there and say, oh, I don't have enough people to go in and put it out, you know. And, and so, I mean, we're, we're rolling the dice there, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, we come out ahead most of the time. And, and so, you know, what folks don't understand is, uh, one, a lot of folks, unless you've lived somewhere with quality fire protection, you actually don't know what quality fire protection looks like. Yeah. You think you have quality fire protection because all the firefighters come when you call 911 and they're all heroes, right? Because, you know, they're firefighters. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I mean, everybody's a big <laughs> hero. And, and the reality is that, you know, none of our departments in this county have the staffing that they need, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think a single fire chief in this county would sit here and say, oh, yeah, I've got all the people I need. I don't need any more, you know, <laughs> and so. Yeah, it's funny you say that. So when I was a deputy, uh, and I know it's different now. There's more of them, and so this is not a reflection at all on how they do any of this stuff. But I can remember vividly when I first started especially, I worked midnight shift, and this county's pretty big, right? It is. In the whole county, there would be two of us. Mm-hmm two deputies for the entire county and i was thinking man if i was a criminal and i knew this all you got to know is no oh well and, you know we had to stay a lot of times we would stay if it was just two of us we'd stay literally in the center right. because we would try to go together where we were going or and respond north or south 
but that was it. Yeah. And uh, I know it's better now, but still the population's higher. And I'm sure there was a staffing issue then. I'm sure there's still, I know there was a staffing issue. And then the other issue is you guys are volunteers. And I mean, you sound like you, you're smart, not to knock any fire, firefighters I know, but you sound like the smartest <laughs> firefighter I've ever talked to. <laughs> that'll ruffle some feathers <laughs> yeah no but uh you definitely sound like you know what you're talking about and you're pretty articulate too which is good but anyway uh you got me distracted by how, how nice you are i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> uh but anyway i know that they uh they still need people you know and Absolutely. oh that's what i was gonna say is the their salaries is you know they want to they don't want to pay them you know they want a, a tax hike uh, whether it be for public safety or specifically to fire departments or whatever and they want to fuss about the officers they get or the firefighters they get, and yet they don't want to pay them. You know, they don't want to give them a, a living wage where we don't lose. I know when I was a deputy, part of the problem, and I think Poncho and now Shannon, is, uh, Sheriff Beasley, has now done a, done a good job trying to get them more money. But what, we had a problem when I was a deputy where they would go to Shelby County. You'd get them through, they'd get certified. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they're not only not volunteers and not full-time with you, they're going, going full-time with a department that will pay them more money. Sure. So if you want to keep good, qualified officers, uh, you've got to fund, you've got to provide funding. Everybody says that, but then, like you say, I also understand that like the executives that are trying to make the decisions on these budgets, it's a difficult, it's a decision that, uh, that I'm glad I don't have to make because you got everybody yelling for the money. The teachers want the money. The road people want the money. The fire, you know, everybody's wanting some money. A little money, a little all over the place. So I can only imagine. My, my, my statements are more for the public. Sure. In that it's easy to whine and say you want this, that, or the other. Quality fire, quality police, quality schools, and all that. Well, it's got, the money has to come from somewhere. It does, and and it, it's. How much are you willing to pay for? Yeah, yeah. What level of fire protection, what level of law enforcement, what level of EMS are you willing to pay for? Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, during that same time period, you were talking about just having a couple of deputies in the whole county. You only had two ambulances in the whole county. Yeah. You know, they had a third one that, you know, if they could maybe, you know, get somebody to answer the phone mm-hmm. that, that they might could put in service, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, that was – and you think about that now, you know. I mean, with currently, you know, there, there's five to six – uh, and occasionally it's been a seventh one, but I think it, I think it's broken at the moment. Last I heard, you know, they're they're having some maintenance issues, you mm-hmm. know, with the ambulance. It's not a knock against an ambulance service. You know, for those that don't know, our ambulance service runs. Mm-hmm. Okay, there there are folks that come from Shelby County, Memphis, not necessarily the fire departments, but the private ambulance side, and they say, oh, I'm going to come work out here in Tipton County because you know it, it's small, quiet, mm-hmm. rural community. Um, our ambulances run mm-hmm. all day. Um, you know, you think about in the big city of Memphis, okay, you come in, shift change, you drop your stuff off, you don't see the, the fire station again until, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. That happens here in Tipton County, too, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we do have, you know, just a limited number of ambulances. It's, it's better than two. It's better than when it was three, and it's better than when it was four, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, six ambulances get eat up pretty quick, too, especially when yeah. they have to do interfacility transfers as well. Um, and, and so, you know, with that, you know, like in, everywhere else, you know, fire departments are struggling to hire people. Ambulance services are struggling to hire people. Law enforcement struggling to hire people. You know, so it's not even just on the volunteer side where we're struggling to, to get quality people. Even mm-hmm. on the career side, you know, when I joined the fire service in, in 2000, like the full-time firefighting job, that was like the dream. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, I, you know, Memphis Fire Department would have an opening you know, for, for recruits and, you know, they would get thousands of applicants, you know, for 40, 50 jobs, you know, even around here local, 
You know, in some of the smaller departments, they would get hundreds of applicants for one or two jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, and now, I mean, there's several departments in the area that have been lucky to get a handful of candidates for one opening. You know, and, and so then you hope out of that handful of candidates that there's somebody quality that stands out, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know. So, I mean, everybody's hurting for, for people. And so then, you know, that where that's where it has to be enticing for them to do it, whatever that may be, okay, on the paid side, whether that's salary and benefits, on the volunteer side, whether it's just, you know, the fun and the action, you know. But then once you get them in and you get the quality, emphasis on quality, once you get the quality in, then you got to keep them. Yeah. Okay, and it's not always just about paying benefits in comparison to other agencies. It's oftentimes about the culture within. Well, the I, I was just thinking to say what you touched on earlier. It can a lot of times be leadership. Yes. If you want people to be loyal, sometimes people do value things other than the paycheck, but they are also not going to stay if they're getting disrespected or uh, not being lifted up, you know, by leadership or don't have strong leadership to follow, you know. And I emphasize the quality. And, and when I teach, I talk about quality over quantity, all right? There's a lot of volunteer fire departments out there that get obsessed about how many people do they have on their roster. Mm-hmm. Like that's some sort of bragging or talking point or whatever. Oh, I got 20 people. I got 30 people on my roster. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. How many of them show up? Yeah. You know, because, I mean, on average, you know, you got X number on the roster, Maybe 50, 60% consistently show up. Mm-hmm. And of that 50, 60%, maybe 50% of that are the go getters that kind of carry the load. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you got 25 people on a roster, but nobody shows up in the middle of the night when the tones go off, what do you really have? Yeah. You know, and, and, and so firefighting is not for everybody, law enforcement is not for everybody, EMS is not for everybody. You know, so. Um, the, the term that I like to use, it's a little kinder, a little gentler. Sometimes you have to manage people off the team, mm-hmm. okay? Not everybody brings a positive to the culture of the organization, okay? Uh, not everybody's in it for the right reasons. And, and so sometimes we look at it, oh, well, you know, you've had two or three people, you know, quit, okay? The two or three people that quit haven't really contributed very much, you know. So, like, what did we lose? Everybody else is still carrying the load before they're carrying the load after, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so being willing to accept that, you know, and say, look, I don't just want people to show up. I want quality people to show up. I want people that want to be part of a high-performing team. I want people that are dedicated, that are honest, that have integrity, all right, and a willingness to learn, not – I just want to drive a big red truck and, and, and blow the siren, okay? Mm-hmm. Which I get it. Hey, you know, 18-year-old kid, they come in, yeah. you know, that's great. You're going to get to ride in the big they red truck. Be, we're going to blow the siren. They want to be in the calendar. They want to be in the <laughs> firefighter calendar. But hopefully somewhere along the line we move from, you know, the, the wow factor into the what we really do here, which is the service to the community. Yeah, one thing I was going to mention that you said that, and this may actually help with folks uh, maybe to direct them to you guys to do some volunteering, is that in the rural counties, uh, uh, the, the you, you mentioned earlier about how people would leave for maybe Memphis to come here and think, oh, it's going to be easy going. When I was a deputy, we dealt with more, more variety and more per capita than they did in Memphis. Sure. Like as an example, back when I was a deputy, if there was a DUI, 
the, the one officer would stop the vehicle, make you know whatever their initial uh, I, you know investigation was on the DUI stop. And then there was another officer that came maybe to do field sobriety test, and then they had a separate truck that came <clears throat> to do the the blood draw or whatever they were going to do. When I was a deputy, we did everything. Right. Like I remember doing fingerprints. You know, like it was experience that I would not have gotten at a bigger agency. And I know firefighting was the same way. Like you said, there's you're jack of all trades to some degree. So my point was, if they come to a department like yours to volunteer, I think they can get experience that can make them even more valuable to another sure. agency because you're getting to do everything. And, and that's absolutely true. Um, you know, we don't have a dedicated companies. You know, you're not on an engine company. You're not on a ladder company. You're not on a rescue company. Like, everybody kind of, you got to mm-hmm. know everything. Yeah. When you show up, who's going to get there first? I don't know. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, is the truck going to roll out with two people? Is it going to roll out with four people? You know, um, you know, you might be on the engine the last time. You may be bringing the tanker the next time, you know. And, and so your roles and responsibilities, like you, you do kind of get to do a little bit of everything. And, and it was kind of interesting. So I had a New York City firefighter uh, explain this to me one time, FDNY guy, because that's who you know, everybody looks up to. It's yeah. the largest department in North America. Go to more calls. They do, like, you know, it, it's crazy. All right. I think they have uh, – it's like eleven or twelve thousand uniform firefighters. That's not counting chiefs. And yeah. then chief officers is like mm-hmm. another like eleven hundred or so. It's crazy. It's yeah. you know, they have more firefighters than, than the largest city in <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But you know, he told me he said like with that that they're they're very specialized. You know, he says, you know, as an as an engine company officer he has one job. You know, he shows up if he's first in, because they do everything by what order you show up in. If he's first in, he has one job. And that is to get the attack line from the pumper to the fire. That's it. That's all he has to worry about. Mm-hmm. And when he goes through his one cylinder of air on his back, he's done. Mm-hmm. He can count on one one hand in, in over 20 years the number of times he's had to put another cylinder on and go to work. Mm-hmm. And so you come out here in the rural environment, okay, and, you know, I can count a number of times where we've gone through three yeah, and four yeah. cylinders, you know, in my younger days, mm-hmm. I'm a one and done guy now, but in my younger days, you <laughs> uh-huh. know, three and four cylinders, you know, because that's just what had to be done. Mm-hmm. There was no one else to call. Um, we are getting better, you know, across the county, you know, with, with calling more help on the front end, being willing to call for additional help as things progress. Um, but it's still like you're going to do more than typically just one job yeah. you know, when, when you show up. And so you don't go to as many fires, but you're going to get a plethora of experience usually on the fires that you do go to. And, and same thing with the wrecks and you know the EMS mm-hmm. calls and what have you. So, so if somebody, we'll start tying this up a little bit because we've got to go to trivia. If somebody, <laughs> uh, I told Josh that I knew from my limited experience with you at the restaurant that you and I'd be able to talk a lot. And I almost brought some bourbon in here, but I was afraid I wouldn't make it to the trivia. <laughs> if people wanted to reach out to you uh, to get more information on joining the department, what what could they do? How did they get a hold of you? So the, the easiest way is our Facebook page, uh, Guilt Edge Volunteer Fire Department on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Just throw that in there. Uh, it pops right up. Pretty much every post that I do, if you click on it, it's kind of funny when we started doing it because we we incorporate the message button. So you actually, if you just want to look at the picture, you actually have to click on it twice. <laughs> you click on it the first time, it takes you automatically to a message. And just reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just reach out, tell us you're interested in joining. Um, we're pretty responsive on that. Uh, myself and a couple of others, you know, get direct uh, 
notifications to our phone whenever somebody sends a message to the page. The other thing, the easiest thing to do too, uh, if you know where the station is at the intersection of Mumford Gilt Edge and Highway 59, the street address is 9149 Mumford Gilt Edge Road. Every Monday night at 630, uh, we're doing training, uh, unless Christmas, you know, falls right there, you know, within the, that's kind of about the only time. Maybe, maybe maybe Easter, but mm-hmm. generally every Monday, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> unless a special holiday falls on yeah, that Monday, yeah. you can find us at the station every Monday night at, uh, at 630. Uh, come on in, tell us who you are, you know, we'll show you around. Be glad to have you, you know, check it out and see if it's something that you want to do. So. Nice. Well, I appreciate your service, man. And, well, and I appreciate you. you taking the time too to come talk to us about it. Yeah. Um, I would never be a volunteer firefighter or a full, <laughs> any kind of firefighter. It wasn't for me. Yeah. I, I told you I got my first dose of it going in that little house. Lots of respect to you guys. So, um, I mean, a very vital, important part of the community. And like you said, you're the white hat, so it's kind of good. Well, it's a little better when you have face mask on, you bring your own air. Yeah. You know, it makes, yeah. makes it a little easier. I know, I know but still, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want nothing to do with it. So, Well, thanks for coming on, Chief, Chief Fletcher. And uh, I have a lot of respect for your wife. You know this. And uh, now I see y'all are like a power couple together, so that's good. <laughs> And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching today. We have another Law Talk. Remember to always like, follow, subscribe to the content. We're on all social media platforms, podcast platforms, Facebook, YouTube, wherever, TikTok, all this kind of stuff. The TikTok, of course, you can go check out because Josh likes to do all the dances over there. All the dances. Uh, all the dances. Josh, you going to be a firefighter? Uh, probably not, but I okay. respect it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then N.A. The Band, uh, local guys, Inside My Head is their album. It's available for free, free, free. Just download it. Go to wherever you listen to music, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. That would really help those guys out. And it's N.A. The Band, no spaces. And Michelle Allen, who's probably still watching, she's like our biggest fan and supporter. We need to do like a Michelle Allen cheerleading section or something around here. <laughs> anyway, Michelle Allen's your go-to in the area for buying, selling, renting, leasing real estate. And she's also a good person, so check her out. Mason's Martial Arts. Mason's Hockey Team Martial Arts been in Covington since 93. Just visit masonsmartialarts.com. We have 30-year spe- anniversary specials going on right now. The Cellar Restaurant Prohibition Bar is located right here in Covington. I will be there in just a minute. We have trivia every Tuesday. Wednesday nights is Wine Down, Whiskey Up Wednesdays with wine and whiskey discounts. Thursday's Ladies Night. Friday, Saturday, we have music. Sunday, we're fixing to start cornhole tournaments. So a lot of fun. Just meet, uh, visit us at the cellar. And then Josh will be glad to help you with your brand online, e- email marketing, social media marketing, websites. Just visit masonitemarketing.com. And as always, we hope to be here again live next Tuesday, barring tornadoes, death in the family, uh, dog attacks, whatever. Hopefully we'll be here with another Law Talk, and I hope you guys have a good week. Keep kicking. Thanks for watching, guys. Just remember that this is not legal advice or investment advice, or business advice. This is for fun and entertainment purposes only.